Good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. We are glad you made it here on this rainy Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we are grateful to be here together to worship Jesus. Uh, We're doing something a little different this morning. We have a special guest speaker. And uh, in order to facilitate him being able to speak at both campuses, uh, he's going to speak right at the beginning of the service. And then the remainder of the worship and everything will be toward the last half of the service over here. Uh, let me introduce, uh, our speaker is Celestin Musakura. Celestin is the founder and president of ALARM, African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries. He is originally from Rwanda. He's here also with his wife, Bernadette. ALARM is a ministry that works to facilitate forgiveness and reconciliation, particularly in Africa. They're, they're, uh, they have ministries in eight different countries. I first met Celestin while I was at Dallas Theological Seminary getting my master's degree, and uh, he was getting his PhD at the same time, and had an opportunity to get to know him as well through the church we were attending then, and and consistently found him, as well as his family, to be gracious and kind, and they live lives in the spirit of the ministry that they lead. Uh, He's also the co-author of a number of articles and books. Uh, One is called Forgiving as We've Been Forgiven. Uh, which I would recommend to you. So if you would please welcome Dr. Celestin Musakura to speak to us this morning. Thank you, Matt. Good morning. Uh, this, this is good. Sometimes when I say good morning in uh, America, they don't know if I'm speaking English or Latin or French. Uh, it uh, sounds like you guys speak in tongues. So I'm very honored. My wife, Bernadette, and I have uh, enjoyed our time here since Friday when we spoke uh, at core graduation, and yesterday spent time eating and enjoying, and uh, uh, we have been uh, blessed to be uh, among you. And we bring greetings from our four children. We have four kids, Providence, uh, Prudence, Samuel, and Emmanuel. And uh, we also bring greetings from your brothers and sisters in Africa, and especially where I was last week in Burundi. And uh, as uh, Matt introduced me, we have known Matt and Shannon uh, for years since they were a young married couple. And now we have had the privilege this uh, last night and this morning to celebrate together with their children. My... uh, Topic uh, this morning, I'm going to really uh, talk about life as it's intended for Christians. And I'm going to invite you to read with me. I will probably read in French, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. English is my sixth language. I didn't learn English until I was very old to learn a new language. So if you don't like my English, bear with me. In heaven, I will speak Texan, I promise. (laughs) Meanwhile, I want you to pay attention because really I mix these languages, but I'm sure you will get the important point that I'm going to make today. Before we read the scriptures, shall we pray? Lord, we are in your presence this morning and we ask your grace. I pray that, Father, you will speak through me uh, despite the limitation of the language. May your spirit translate my broken English, my broken heart, to my brothers and sisters in this congregation. We pray that you will speak to each heart here, that at the end we will indeed be renewed in our thoughts, in our search for 
forgiveness and reconciliation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. And uh, uh, this is a, a verse that we are uh, familiar with. But uh, I want to um, uh, probably look at this passage from the African perspective but more importantly, from really the biblical perspective, from the heart of God, when we talk about reconciliation as the mission of God, reconciliation as really the whole point of our Christian faith. And so if you have your Bibles, please, if you read with me, I will try to read in English. Verse 17 begins by, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is... A new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be seen for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This passage is talking about really the mission of God. If you ask Paul what is the great commission, Paul will not tell you Matthew. Paul will tell you 2 Corinthians. Because the two passages in Matthew, the uh, passage where I use Matthew 28 about the Great Commission, this passage in 2 Corinthians carries it on to actually show us what happens when we take the gospel to the all nations. And so verse 17, he begins by anyone, therefore, reducing or removing the possibility that some of the world people, like Americans, will say we own the gospel. We are about the gospel. The rest of the world, they depend on us for the gospel. That's why he begins by saying, if anyone, now anyone, the last time I checked anyone, the meaning of anyone is anyone. (laughs) Probably for uh, English speakers, anyone has something different. What the meaning of anyone? Everyone, isn't it? Anybody. It means a black. It means white. It means red. It means yellow. It means pink. You guys are not white. (laughs) It means poor. It means rich. It means anyone in Christ. So anyone in Christ, he begins by saying, if anyone, that means there is no prerogative on the gospel by any tribe, any race, any color. It is anyone in Christ. It doesn't matter where he's born. It doesn't matter where they live. If anyone is in Christ, he is, she is a new creation. And that's where we begin. And that's what Matthew says, you go and make all nations disciples. And teach them to obey all what I have commanded. And then Paul is saying now, when we go to all nations, now anyone in those nations, in Christ, we all become a new creation. Now for Paul, he's saying there is a process. And this is the process of reconciliation that Paul is telling us in this passage. 
So he begins by, for this process of reconciliation, it begins by transformation. It begins by people hearing the gospel, accepting Christ, and then change their identity from the tribe or from the race, from the whatever identity. They change that identity to become a new creation and therefore adopt the new identity in Christ. So anyone in Christ, therefore, he, overs- I mean, he oversteps or his new identity supersedes the old identity. That's what he says, the old, behold, the old is gone, the new has come. And therefore, in this process, we believers, we have acquired a new identity. Now, my identity in Christ must supersede my Hutu identity as Rwandese. It must supersede my blackness. It must supersede any other identity that I had because in Christ I have become a new identity. And so Paul says now, let me tell you what happens. Let me tell you the process of you acquiring this identity. Let me show you how God gives you a new life. And then he goes on to explain how God does it. Now, let me go back to the new identity. Today, one of the problems that we have in Africa, where you hear there is genocide in Rwanda. In 1994, in my own home country, within three months, one million people were killed. And I want to tell you, it was not like Muslim killing Christians. It was not like Christians killing Muslims. Unfortunately, in most of the villages, in most of the towns, Christians were killing Christians. They were killing each other because they never understood that when in Christ, their new identity supersedes their tribal identity. And the reason was that most of the time, our work, our, our Christian work, our missionary work, focused mainly on conversion. We made converts, we did not make disciples. And that's what I see in America. People say, yeah, I'm American first, then I'm a Christian second. Really? Oh, no, I am a white first, I'm a black first, then I'm a Christian second. We have made converts, we have not made disciples. And that's the problem everywhere. That's why in Burundi, last week, in fact, I did not know I was going to be here today. Because I was in Burundi last week, when I began to correspond with Matt and Pat and and the planning, I was in Juba, South Sudan, if you know where Juba is. I was in South Sudan, then uh, we agreed that I was going to come and I was going to spend this week with you from South Sudan, Juba, where I was working with the leaders who, 2013 December, they began the war because these Dinka and Nue leaders, the nation leaders, did not agree based on tribalism. They began to kill each other. And so as a church, as a ministry, we began to work with the pastors, not only to help deal with the trauma, but also to begin to work with how can the Christians, how can Christians in South Sudan, from the Dinka tribe and the Nuer tribe, how can they be agents of reconciliation? So from Juba, I went to Burundi in Bujumbura. Working with the hundred pastors from over 20 different denominations, looking at the role of the church in bringing healing and forgiveness and reconciliation in the tiny Burundi. Burundi is a country like Rwanda has Hutus and Tutsis, and for, historically they have murdered each other, just like we have done in Rwanda. 
As they approach the elections, we began to say, how can we avoid the scenario of Rwanda? How can we avoid the scenario of Kenya in 2007, 2008? How can Christians, how can believers become the source of hope in a hopeless condition? On the third day, on Wednesday, just before we finished, then I see pastors restless. Because they were getting texts from their members that there's a coup. Our coup was in the process. In fact, when I stopped them, asked what's going on, when it says a coup, I felt my stomach is starting to run already. Because I know in Africa, when there's a coup, blood will flow. The Puchist, the one who made the coup, he said no flats, no flights in and out. The borders were closed. And so I was supposed to leave on Wednesday night. Kenya always canceled their flight. Then we have Thursday, Friday, Saturday. No flight. And by Friday night, actually the hotel manager came and said, there's no food. I said, really, there's no food and I like to eat. Yeah, there's no food. But I want to tell you, by Sunday, I had left, I left in the morning and by road and uh, to the border of Rwanda. Then our staff in Rwanda picked me and my friend to Kigali to get a flight. So I actually didn't know I was going to be here because things happened. But what was happening in Burundi is the same issue. It's not just a third term for the president. It's issue of tribalism. Unfortunately, in Burundi, as well as in Rwanda, we have the majority of the people who say, who call themselves they are Christians. But when the rubber hits the road, they resort in tribalism. And so what Paul is saying, we should not live that way because when we are in Christ, our tribal identity has been already uh, Cancelled by our Christian identity. And therefore, our Hutu or our Tutsi or our white or our black in Christ, we belong to one tribe of Christ. We belong to one another. So there's no room for uh, racism, for tribalism, for uh, all those things that divide us. And so that's why Christians then, we are told something that happens then. Paul says, let me tell you the process. So he says, all this, the new identity, the transformation from the old to the new happens because God in Christ, that's what he says in verse 18, in Christ, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, he says, It is impossible for us to be transformed. It is impossible for us to acquire the new identity without the cross. So he says the cross is the instrument for us to be reconciled to God. And it's not just God reconciling us to himself, but he ends up, God in turn, give us what Paul says, then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he reconciled us to himself, and then he gives us the ministry of what? Of reconciliation. Now, when we are told to go to, in Matthew 28, when we are told to go to share the gospel, when we want to tell the people about the, the gospel, what is that? That is reconciliation. The gospel is about asking people to bring people to be reconciled to God and to renew their broken relationship with God. Reconciliation means you make 
amend brokenness, you amend the broken relationships, you come back together, the former enemies become friends. That's what happens when the gospel comes in my village. I was born in Rwanda in the rural area where I had never seen a white man until I was 14 years old. In fact, when we saw this missionary in my village who was sharing the gospel, we thought he was either one of the animals from the bush or one of the ancestors from the graves. <laughs> because we had never seen this funny-looking thing. <laughs> but my condition then, I was born in a family where we worshipped the dead. My mother, in fact, had been a... a Barren. She had no children for nine years, and the family, everyone in the village actually laughed at her because everybody believed she was a cursed woman. And because they believed there was a curse on her, which made her not to have a son or a girl, she could not sit with other women. She could not hold the babies because they feared the curse would go on those children. My mom became an outcast. And for her life, for the nine years after she was married, she was offering the blood of chicken, blood of goats, and, and cows to the spirit of the dead so she can have a child. Nine years later, when I was born, she named me Musekura. My last name is Musekura. It means savior. I saved her because when I was born, she was accepted, even if I had died one minute later. So then she raised me as a traditional priest. So at the age of five, I knew how to, I was being coached on how to offer sacrifices. At the age of seven and eight, I knew how to slaughter a goat or a chicken or a sheep and take the blood of those animals in this small heart and pray and give to the ancestors. So they receive the blood, they receive the meat, then they can give me life. That was my religion. I grew up in that kind of religion, worshiping the dead. At the age of 11, I lost my sister. I was two weeks old. I was told she died because I failed her. I failed to offer sacrifices. That's why she died. And so at the age of 11, I didn't know who was going to die next. By God's grace, I began to search. And God began actually to show, my, to show me that what I was doing is not going to help my family. It was during that time when this missionary, Kai, who was a missionary in the Congo, Kicked out of Congo, he crossed to Rwanda, he came to my village, he began to share the gospel that God loved the world. He gave his own son who shed his blood that we, we who accept him will become the sons of God. It made sense because I had spent this short life giving blood every week without hope. But when I heard that Jesus shed his blood once for all, and I can speak to God directly. And Jesus is my friend. I can be redeemed. I can be reconciled to God. Then I say, this is the best ancestor I want to follow. And my family told me, never accept that God because bad things would happen. Two years later, I had just finished my first year of high school. I realized that I need to give my life to Christ and then let him take care of my ancestors. And he did. I'm still alive today. It was that time when my life changed. I, came, I became a new creation. And therefore, not only did I receive Christ, not only did I become a new person, and my identity changed from worshiping of, a worshiper of the ancestors to a worshiper of the living God. And then I became a member of the church of Christ, no matter where the church is. And that began my journey. 
And so I realized that my life is not only transformed for me to be there, but I began to desire how can I go back seven years later, no relation with my family, I began to desire how to go tell my mom about the real Savior. Because when I became a Christian, my family disowned me. I became homeless. I ate from the garbage. I ate from the trash. And I didn't see my family because they were afraid. They said, never come back home. Seven years later, I found myself in my village. And I wanted to tell my mom about the real Savior. And she accepted Christ. And my father accepted Christ. And my brother, he's a better preacher than I am, praise God. And so I began now this message, this ministry of reconciliation. I began to tell people, I have been reconciled to God. You can be reconciled to God. And that's what Matthew says. But God reconciled us to himself. And then Paul, in this passage, tells us it cost God. Paul says, let me tell you the cause of reconciliation. He begins to say it is on the cross. It is on the cross that God reconciled us to himself. And on the cross, Paul says, the minister of reconciliation, that on the cross, Christ was reconciling us to God. And he defined that process by saying, not Counting men's sin against them. Now, some of us don't read forgiveness in this passage, but that's the point. So, what happened on the cross? The God, the just God, who had the right to punish all of us, who had the right to um, destroy all of us, he says, I'm going to reconcile you to myself. I'm going to provide the means for reconciliation. I'm going to have my son hung on the tree. I, who is just, who is holy, actually, I'm going to pay for your forgiveness. That's where we Christians need to realize that it is not the sinner, it is not the person who has sinned against us, it is not the person who has committed sin against us, who is actually going to pay for forgiveness. It is the sinned against who actually pays for forgiveness. And that's why forgiveness is so difficult even in our lives. We forget that God of justice who was to destroy us, who we had sinned against, in turn, he actually paid for our own forgiveness. What's forgiveness then? I have been in America for a long time, and I have been working with the Christians in Rwanda. In fact, in 1994, when we began to work with the pastors in the refugee camps, we would meet pastors who survived the genocide, who were saying, where was God when my wife and six children were murdered? Others were saying, you know, I know somebody who killed my wife and six children. Can I go kill them and then forgive them after? Because the concept of forgiveness is revenge. We even in America, we say, I will do what I can to make him feel justice. And what we call justice, my friend, is revenge. But God says, I will forgive you and I will pay for the forgiveness instead of destroying you. You see, we fail to forgive one another because we are people of justice. But if God used justice every day, my friend, you and I will not be here today. If God used justice every day, none of us would be accepted in his presence because we all have sinned and have fallen short of, his, of the glory of God. 
If God applied justice in our everyday life, I don't think I'll be standing here on the pulpit because I'd be killed yesterday when I said to my wife bad words. It is God's grace, forgiveness, that makes us move forward. It is by forgiveness. So he says, on the cross, Christ was there to make sure that God does not count men's sins against them. It means he sees us as if we have not sinned. It means God gives up the right to be right. That's what forgiveness is. Giving up the right to be right. Do you know why we kill each other in Rwanda? It's because the Hutus want to be right. And the Tutsis want to be right. The Hutus want to be right. Dinka and Nuwe in South Sudan. The Dinkas want to be right. And the, uh, the Nuwe want to be right. In America, the white want to be right. The black want to be right. As long as none of us is willing to give up our right to be right, my friends, we're going to kill each other. We're going to divorce each other, even among Christians. Because the couples, the wife and the husband, none of them is willing to give up their right to be right. I am right. I am right. And I'll show you by hiring a lawyer that I am right. That's why justice alone, my friends, cannot be the nation. Whether it is justice in America where justice is applied and then we have a lot of people in jail and very soon your jails are completely going to be full and you are going to release the prisoners in the community. Or whether it's in Africa where there's no justice, the murderers and the killers are walking on the way. It is all the same. Because we have failed to understand grace. We have failed to understand forgiveness. We have failed to understand that there's no justice without mercy, without forgiveness. And we Christians, we must work hard to make sure we are not just just people. We are forgiving people because we have been forgiven. And so Paul says then, what happens in our life is we are forgiven. On the cross, God provides means for forgiveness. On the cross, our sins are forgiven. The God who was supposed to punish us, the God we sinned against, he paid the price for forgiveness. And therefore, Paul says, in turn, what God does is he makes us, therefore, ambassadors. This is beautiful, isn't it? You see yourself as evangelists, but the evangelists and ambassadors, they are the same. You see, I never knew that because of God's forgiveness, I am to be an extension of forgiveness. I thought my forgiveness is for me to enjoy and, and sing, I am saved, I'm going to heaven. I never understood that. No, it is the gift that I am given so that I give that gift to the rest. I was at a seminary when I heard a news that my family was murdered in Rwanda. Seventy people in my village were murdered just in less than 12 minutes. And the people who came to my village and, and murdered my father and, and my young brother, adopted sister, and 70 people in my church, they were neighbors. They didn't come from far. They didn't come from Chicago or New York or College Station. They were my neighbors. And so I had already been involved in the ministry of reconciliation when I heard about the news and I began to cry. I began to say, God, where were you? And in fact, I began to ask, to tell God, to remind God how much I have suffered for his sake and now he cannot even protect my family. I began to ask the same questions the pastors who survived the genocide had been asking me in 1994, 1995 when I began to work with them. 
In fact, I say, God, have you forgotten this? You know, sometimes we remind God, you know. God forgets, you know. <laughs> it was that early morning when God said, Celestine, don't ask where I was. I was there when they were killed and they are done. They are here at home. It is up to, to finish the journey. In fact, God began to tell me, don't ask who did it because I didn't want to know who did it because I wanted to revenge. Now, I didn't want to revenge in the sense of taking the machetes, go kill them. I think I want to pray bad prayers for them. You know, some of you do the same for your to a husband or wife and parents, you know. That's revenge. But also, maybe not prayer, but prayer for them. Lily, I want to know who they are so that I can avoid them in the future. I can tell my children, never meet them. I can tell my wife, this is so-and-so who murdered our family, never fellowship with them. That's revenge. And so God told me, you don't need to know who did it. You need to forgive them before you know who they are. And I struggled that morning of 5th January 1998 because they were killed just a week before I knew the news. And I wrestled with God, I can't forgive if you don't give me grace. That morning, God told me, if you don't forgive, you are a hypocrite. You stop preaching forgiveness and reconciliation to others. You must practice what you teach. It was not an early morning, it was not an easy morning, but let me tell you, by God's grace, I was able, by God's grace as I could, to really pray and forgive them. And then I woke my wife and our children up, I told them what just happened, and we cried, we prayed, and six months later, I learned that my mother actually survived, because she was, she fainted during the shooting, she was under the dead bodies between four and five hours. And when she came to life, she found a baby nursing a dead mother, picked the baby, ran in the bush for four days. She didn't know this was her granddaughter. So my friends, a year later, I came face to face with the relatives of those who murdered my family. I was just standing in front of them. These were pastors from these families. When I saw them, I wanted to go to strangle them. Remember, I had forgiven them. Out of nowhere, the anger and the bitterness, I want to go to strangle them. And then to the time when the Lord said, son, you are becoming a tribe man because the people you are looking at are your brothers. Yes, their families murdered your family, but the people you are looking at are pastors, are believers like you. And therefore, you have become a tribesman. You are looking at them through the eyes of your tribe and their tribe. Because I am a Hutu. My wife actually is born from a father Hutu, a mother Tutsi. We don't know what our children are because there's nothing in between. <laughs> but let me tell you, at that moment, God said, you need to ask them to forgive you because you are becoming tribal. I stopped. I asked them to forgive me. We cried. They said, no, we cannot deny that we did it. Even though it was our brothers and our fathers, we were part of them. Please forgive us. We forgave each other. We cried. And let alone, we began to walk together. In fact, one of those whose brothers and fathers murdered my family and 70 members of my church, he is actually serving on the board of Alarm in Rwanda. You see, forgiveness is a gift to have been given, not to keep for ourselves, not to celebrate ourselves, but is a gift that God gives us so that we can extend it to the rest of the people in our community. And so Paul says, when we have been reconciled with God, when we have been reconciled with one another, therefore, he says, you are therefore, we are therefore, verse 20, Christ's ambassadors, and God, through, uh, through us, God is making an appeal. 
So we are ambassadors. So our role, our responsibility is not just to sit in the pews, warm the pews, and become just nominal Christians. Become tribal, become racist. So as Christians, we Christians, we have been transformed. And because we have been transformed and we have acquired a new identity, and therefore, with this new identity, we carry great responsibilities. So how you live every day must be a life of a reconciled person involved in reconciliation. Tribal, racial, family, we are men and women who have been given this message and the ministry of reconciliation. And through us, God is imploring people. We don't have our own minds. We don't have our own opinions. So as I conclude, I want to repeat that each believer must therefore live out his or her new mandate as ambassador of Christ. We are ambassadors of peace. We are agents of reconciliation. And so we must practice unconditional forgiveness. Maybe today, as we think about our new identity in Christ, as you think about your new identity in Christ, I want you to think about someone in your life that until today you have not forgiven. You are dying inside. You can't serve God well. You can't relate well. When you see them, you clinch, you, you gnash your teeth. Think about someone you have not forgiven. But also think about someone that you need to reconcile with because God has made you an instrument of reconciliation. And finally, think about a broken relationship that exists today between you, your father, between you and your son, between you and your mother, between you and your colleague. If you are Christian here today, when you leave, please go back and make amend. Make sure you go fast. Don't wait. And so we who have been reconciled, we who have been forgiven, we need to be agents of forgiveness. And that's what the Great Commission is all about. We are reconciled, we become reconcilers, and then we become the messengers of forgiveness and reconciliation. You see, we are weak when we don't forgive. We are strong when we forgive. And so as I walk around in our countries, in our communities, the value of the Christian faith in our nations is when the church is involved in racial and tribal reconciliation. It is not going to be the church. The church is you and I, is Mary, Joseph. It is when we are individually involved in seeking forgiveness, granting forgiveness, is when we begin to reconcile when the church, Christians, become an agent of reconciliation. Who do you need to reconcile with? More importantly, first, who do you need to forgive? Without forgiveness, you have no life. Without forgiveness, you have no witness. Without forgiveness, you have no hope. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. We are going to take the remainder of our time together to reflect. We've just heard a very powerful message, the truth of the gospel of reconciliation. And as a church, now, we're going to have some time where we will respond with worship. And that's hugely important that we each, as Celestin has challenged us, that we search our hearts that we go before the Lord 
in humbleness and in brokenness and ask those questions that he asked. Is there anyone that we need to forgive? Is there anyone that has hurt us that we are still holding on to bitterness and anger toward them? Is there anyone that we have injured or hurt that we might need to go and ask forgiveness? And we can't do that on our own, can we? That's the power of the gospel, of being reconciled to a holy God. Jesus Christ living in and through us. So maybe as we go to this time, the most important thing for you is to make sure that you have been reconciled to a holy God, that you have experienced forgiveness of your sins. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all separated from God as a result of our sins. And we have an opportunity now as we, in the quietness of our hearts, to ask God to forgive us because Christ bore all of our sins on the cross and to receive that miraculous free gift of salvation by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. It's no accident that each person is in this room. We've been deeply moved by Celestin's testimony and even more importantly, the truth from 2 Corinthians where you led Paul to write that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. And you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. And as we come now and worship, I pray, Lord, that we will open our hearts up to you, that we will allow you to speak to us, that we will respond to the moving of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we will believe in you, Jesus. We will forgive and we will be willing to ask forgiveness.